Baseball has a lot of heartbreak woven into it. This is Colin McEnroe. He hosts a talk show on WNPR, the talk show I work on as my day job. I mean, there isn't another sporting experience where you sit through a season watching your team lose 70 games and have it come out really great. It's like, wow, that was one of the best seasons we've ever had. Colin is a Red Sox fan, and I'm a Yankees fan, and we talk baseball sometimes. And of course, famously, you're also going to watch all of your favorite players be inadequate a lot of the time. We all remember when we were little kids, you know, you'd go to bed crying because George Scott just struck out and lost the game or something. Gibson makes a supreme effort, and Scott strikes out. The Cardinals win. They're the new world champions. And Bob Gibson. And I'm dating myself here, but. Um, George Scott was a first baseman for the Red Sox in the 1960s and 70s. You have to acknowledge that, that most people's experience with fandom is with a franchise that's totally devoted to winning its games and without any kind of ulterior motives. Like, what else do the Yankees or the Red Sox want to do besides win as many games as possible? Well, nothing, really. Minor league baseball, though, has a different set of priorities, a different set of goals. And so following a minor league baseball team must work differently, too, right? I think if you love a team then you go through a lot of ups and downs with them all the way through the season. I mean, look, the most famous baseball poem ends with Mighty Casey striking out and you know, your hopes rise and fall. But I, I think my, minor league baseball, you just you can't have that particular kind of emotional imprint. It's not going to have those kinds of oscillations. It, it just it can't have that other thing. And, I mean, maybe that's a mercy to us all that it can't have that other thing. From WNPR, this is the second first season, a behind-the-scenes podcast about the making of a baseball team on a year-long do-over. I'm Jonathan McNichol. This is episode three, and it's the first we're really talking about the actual team, the actual baseball, the actual wins and losses. And I'll say this right at the beginning here. The Yard Goats are not good, so far anyway. They've won less than 40% of their games, they've been outscored by more than a run per game, and they've spent the first five weeks of the season bouncing into and out of last place in their division, the Eastern Division of the Eastern League. It's not clear, though, that it really matters to anyone, or that it should. The Yard Goats lost the first five home games they ever played in Hartford. Yes. I'm Jonathan. Hi. Overall, at that point in the season, they'd lost six games in a row and seven of their last eight. Thanks for taking the time. So the first time I ever talked to Yard Goats manager Jerry Weinstein, they were in last place and they'd lost three quarters of their games. I want to start on a down note. And the first question I ever asked him was about, you know, how badly they were playing. But are you worried about the losing streak? No. It's, it's minor leagues. It's, a, it's player development. Do I worry about developing players? That's what I worry about. I don't worry about wins and losses. Because that's the thing. In the minor leagues, for the teams, it isn't really about winning and losing. It's about developing the players. Do we want to win? Yeah, we want to win. Is it easier to develop players when you when you win? Yes. That's interesting. Why is it easier to develop players when you win? Yeah, it's just it just is. It's when you win, you know, there's a positive vibe, and sometimes when you lose, there's a negative vibe. But that's good too because uh, you're going to lose. There's going to be obstacles in the way, and you have to overcome them. Makeup is really important, how they handle adversity. 
you know, how they handle losing, how they handle going 0 for 30, 0 for 35. There's even a certain value to losing at this level. And I want to get into what this level is exactly, but let me emphasize this idea about winning and losing from one other point of view first. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter if they're good. This is Tim Restall, the Yard Goat's general manager. So the baseball is a part of it. It always helps. In the minor leagues, general manager isn't a baseball job. But because we don't lead with baseball, you know, when we were talking to fans about Dunkin' Donuts Park and what it's going to do in the community and all these after-school programs and all the things, sometimes I say, oh, yeah, and by the way, we're going to play baseball there. See, there are two kind of parallel stories here. There's the franchise that's called the Yard Goats, and there's the team that's called the Yard Goats. There's the business side of the Yard Goats, and there's the baseball side of the Yard Goats. All the baseball side of the business is handled by our parent club, which is the Colorado Rockies. So they take care of all the player um, medical, transportation, everything to do with their salaries, everything on those lines. The Yard Goats are owned by a member of the Solomon family, Josh Solomon, is the principal person in the ownership of the Yard Goats. This is Colin McEnroe again. He's covered the Yard Goats coming to Hartford since the beginning. But it's also kind of a little family business. And so their father, Art Solomon, who's kind of a, you know, who was kind of a financial Bobby Axelrod kind of player, he actually wrote a book about how great it is to own minor league baseball teams. You don't pay the players. You don't pay the coaches. You don't even pay the trainers because the Rockies are not going to let some meathead that you hire work on the knee of their prized prospects. So, yeah, no, the Rockies, they want control over everything. And so you, you're you just sitting there kind of doing the rest of it and selling tickets. So it's, you know, a pretty nice deal if it works out okay. So the Yard Goats franchise isn't in charge of the Yard Goats team. Josh Solomon and Tim Restall and the folks that run Dunkin' Donuts Park, they don't set the rosters. They don't hire the coaching staff. As regards to what goes on the field, we don't have uh, any input on that. Instead, Solomon and Restall are in charge of the concessions, the marketing, the uniforms, and the mascots. They're in charge of making sure the umpires have enough baseballs. They're in charge of maintaining the field of play and the stadium that surrounds it. In essence, what they do... What we do is part of our player development contract. We provide a place for them to play. And so the minor league baseball has standards for double-A, single-A, triple-A baseball stadiums. And so we're double-A. The double-A test is always a good one. Jeffrey Paternostro is senior prospect writer for Baseball Prospectus. That's the interesting thing, I think, about being able to see a double-A team. Is this is sort of where the rubber meets the road for a lot of these guys? The quality of baseball is better. The quality of opponents are better. Depending on what you count, there are at least four levels of professional baseball below double-A. But there are only two levels above it. And one of the two levels above double-A is the major leagues. It, to me, is probably the most important step a prospect takes before he gets to the big leagues. Keith Law is a senior baseball writer for ESPN and the author of a new book, Smart Baseball. You see players skip triple-A all the time. You never skip double-A. The quality of pitching is better, especially. When you get up here, like, I'll see guys that throw 100 in double-A. You'll see major league quality velocity. Um, you'll see major league quality uh, sequencing is the other thing. I think one of the big adjustments double-A hitters have to make is if you're an A-ball and you're ahead 2-0 or 2-1, you know you're going to see a fastball. And probably from a guy that can't put it exactly where he wants. But at this level, players have the skills and the command over their skills 
to simply be less predictable. Yep, double A, all of a sudden, that 2-0 fastball looks like a fastball and it's a changeup or it's a slider. And the guy can put it where he wants and you're going to look pretty foolish. It has become the new AAA and that this is often going to be the last stop for your best prospects because it has the best, you know, there's plenty of other prospects at the level. You can start looking at the AA team and that's going to be a very, very fun team to watch from a prospect watcher's point of view. And the Rockies have stacked the Yard Goats roster with some of the very best talent, the very best prospects in their whole organization. There's the catcher, Dom Nunez. I mean, he just looks like it. He's built like a catcher. He moves like a catcher. You know, I think he's going to end up an everyday guy in the big leagues. And there's a whole slew of pitchers, Parker French and Sam Howard and Yancy Almonte. And Ryan Castellani, a 21-year-old starter who's maybe among the top five prospects in the Colorado Rockies organization and the top 100 prospects in all of baseball. You know, it'll be a fun starting rotation to watch in general, I think. You know, it's, you've got a pretty good chance of seeing a potential Major League arm if you go out to the park on any given day. But the jewel of the Yard Goats roster right now is a 22-year-old corner infielder from Santa Ana, California, Ryan McMahon. There's real power there. You know, He's a guy that can hit home runs, and he can hit home runs to all fields. He's got power to all fields. He can hit him long and far, and he swings and drives one deep towards left field. Going back is Jonathan Davis looking up, and it's gone. There you have it. Ryan McMahon hits the first ever home run for the Hartford Yard Goats at Dunkin' Donuts Park. He's going to be a guy that can be in the middle of the lineup and be a fun guy to watch. In the month of April, McMahon hit 375 with four home runs and 20 RBIs and 20 games for the Yard Goats, and he was named Player of the Month in the Eastern League. Swung out a high drive, deep right, callback, looking up, she is gone! Ryan McMahon hits number four. McMahon is kind of undeniably the most exciting thing that's happening for the Hartford team right now. But you might notice that he doesn't really appear much in their advertising, that he isn't pictured on the big banners outside Dunkin' Donuts Park, that they don't sell Ryan McMahon jerseys and T-shirts in the team store. You think about it, you know, you, you have the number on the back and say it's number 17 on the back of the jersey, and some teams have names on them. This is Yard Goats GM Tim Restall again. Well, we don't have names because 17 can, it changes from year to year. And even, you know, April could be one player, May could be another player, June could be another player. So with a guy like McMahon, who's maybe kind of a star for Hartford right now, the better he plays, the more likely he is to get promoted out of Hartford. For Ryan, you know, he's doing very well this year and, 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 and is developing very well. We don't know when things will happen and change and move. So it's hard to put focus in on a specific player because they could be gone, they could be gone tomorrow and it's out of our control. Chris Forbes is manager of the player development department for the Colorado Rockies. I asked him how soon a guy like McMahon might get whisked out of here for AAA or beyond. Somebody like McMahon, is there room for him above him? Uh, soon? Yeah. Yeah, that would be great. You know, a lot of it's going to depend on him. He's going to tell us when he's ready to be moved. Um, you know, right now you're liking what you're seeing because he is sustaining a very consistent approach to the play. Well, that's why we promote Chompers and Choo Choo. Chompers and Choo Choo are the Yard Goats' seven-foot-tall green and blue goat mascots. Chompers and Choo Choo are not getting promoted. Chompers and Choo Choo have peaked. They've reached the fullness of their potential, I guess. But so then, from a fan's point of view, if you latch on to an exciting player like Ryan McMahon, and then he really breaks out and starts lighting up the league, that's like... A bad thing? 
I mean, it's a good thing. I mean, I, I think one of the things you learn how to do is to learn how to split your focus a little bit so that ultimately you can sit there and watch a game and be invested in its outcome. But you can also be a little bit invested in the future of some of these players and, and the fact that the best case scenario for them is they just won't be here in a month. Jack Weinkoop is a 23-year-old pitcher from Virginia Beach playing his first season at the AA level for the Yard Goats. You know, Jack can do that. He's got a couple of different breaking pitches, and, boy, there's a lot of movement when that ball leaves his hand. Jeff, he said he learned that learning how... He started a game in Hartford on a windy Tuesday night in early May, and in the bottom of the first, the home team jumped out to a six-run lead. Swung out a ground ball in the right field for a base hit. Scoring from third is Max White and Ashley Greataway's little time as he singles into right center. They had six hits in the inning, including a double and two triples. Pitch swinging a ground ball in a left field for a base hit. Ryan McMahon is in the score. Dylan Thomas stops at third base. It's a ringing single by Josh Fuentes. The six runs are the most the Yard Goats have ever scored in an inning at Dunkin' Donuts Park so far. Still going back, still going back. It's over his head, all the way to the fence. Scoring is Fuentes. Dom Nunez rotting third. He is heading home, and in the third base standing, Colin Ferguson. It is a two-run triple, and it's now 6-0 yard goes here in the first inning. An early six-run lead is a nice cushion for a starting pitcher, but Weinkoop couldn't hold on to it. And by the fourth inning, the Red Sox AA affiliate, the Portland Sea Dogs, had tied the game up at eight. And then... Here's a fastball driven in the air down the left field line, and this one is gone. What a blast. A three-run homer by Raphael Devers, and the Sea Dogs take an 11-8 lead. That's a rough night for a pitcher, starting with a six-run lead and eventually allowing ten runs on ten hits and three in the third innings pitched and leaving the game behind on the scoreboard. The Yard Goats had actually come back and tied it back up at 11 by the time I got to talk to Chris Forbes from the Rockies. As far as Jack goes, he, he's a big-time command and control guy, and if he doesn't have that, you know, he's going to have too many balls to get too much plate, and, and good hitters are going to drive it. And that's exactly what they did. They took advantage of, of some balls and ended up being center cut, and they didn't miss them, you know. So other than that, I mean, you know, it's one of these games where you want to see the resiliency Forbes's attitude about Weinkoop's night is the same as Coach Weinstein's was. Obstacles are good for players at this level. You want to see them overcome adversity. And sometimes these outings are actually good for the kid. Jack's focus for me has got to be his next outing. And, and you know, we always talk next with these kids about, okay, I didn't execute that pitch, next pitch. You know, I, didn't, I lost that hitter, next hitter. You know, bad inning, next inning, though. Always looking forward instead of letting what happened in the past, even recent past, affect this entire outing. You know, so it's going to be a good learning experience for Jackson. Is that the Devers kid again? I better keep an eye on that kid in Boston here. So. Raphael Devers is one of the best prospects in all of baseball. Depending on what list you look at, he's maybe the number two or three prospect in the Boston Red Sox organization. And that was the sound of him hitting his second home run of the game and putting Portland ahead for good. Deep right center field, and this one is gone! An upper deck home run by Raphael Devers, and it is now Portland 12, the Yard Goats 11. Raphael Devers with his second home run of the night. Jack Weinkoop's next start was on a Sunday afternoon in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and it started off a lot like the Portland game, with the Yard Goats jumping out to a 5 to nothing lead in the first inning. 
And it seems like maybe he had the learning experience Forbes wanted him to. And Weinkoop threw seven scoreless innings and got the win. On one hand, I needed to do a better job two starts ago of coming out and throwing a zero up and kind of shutting the door on that inning. You know, I was up in the zone, made some mistakes, and these guys are good hitters, and they'll capitalize on that. And I guess last outing, I did a better job of kind of eliminating those mistakes, trying to stay down in the zone, mix my pitches, and get a few more ground balls rather than some fly balls and line drives. He wasn't, though, in agreement with Forbes that the bad outing had created an opportunity for his next start that he wouldn't have otherwise had, exactly. I mean, I'm glad that I've you know, been able to make some adjustments in between starts and eliminate some of those mistakes, but I'd definitely like to have two good ones in a row rather than a good one and a bad one. But, I mean, that's part of, that's part of the game is bouncing back. I mean, this is a game of failure. You know, you're not going to have your best outing every time. Something like 18 or 19 years ago, I was up in Cooperstown, New York, where the Baseball Hall of Fame is. And I was wandering around the Main Street area there, and I stumbled across, I think, maybe a high school baseball game being played at Doubleday Field. And it occurred to me then that there's something sort of lovely, a sort of platonic ideal, to a baseball game where you have no rooting interest, where the outcome, where the score even, just doesn't matter, where you can just watch the baseball. And it occurs to me now that if there are things that are more important to the team than winning if there are things that are more important to the franchise than winning, maybe that's what we have here with the Yard Goats, the sort of platonic ideal of baseball. Like Colin said at the beginning, maybe it's a mercy to us all that minor league baseball can't have that other thing, the real ups and downs of winning and losing. There was a basketball player who had the infelicitous name for a basketball player of Neil Walk. But he famously said that he, he thought basketball would be more beautiful if people didn't keep score, you know, that basketball was just sort of, you know, so lovely in and of itself. And that, of course, marked him out as a terrible flake who was not to be trusted with any major <laughs> basketball responsibilities. And I feel, there, I mean, certainly there are people who do look at baseball and say, yes, it's, it's so gorgeous and, and geometric and trigonometric, you know, and you could just sit there and watch these fabulous flights of the ball and really enjoy the way a curveball breaks and not really get too wound up about whether it was your guy who just threw that perfect, exquisite-looking slider or their guy who just struck out your guy. It doesn't really matter anyway. But I just don't – I think that that's a smaller group – you know, you Brahmins who feel that way are a much smaller group than the vast ruck of us who probably do want to have a pretty basic rooting kind of interest. Once again, you have to sort of – there's a split focus that I think we're all going to learn how to do here in Hartford where, yes, on the one hand, you wouldn't really be sitting there with a stupid hat on your head with a goat on the hat you know, if you didn't manage somehow to care whether they won or not. That would be weird. But it would also be weird to be over-invested in that and unaware of certain other aspects of this, this particular stage of baseball. Coming up on the second first season. I had some Rockies people say to me they thought their guys were at a real disadvantage last season because they had no home games. Anybody who's here and has a uniform as a prospect is a potential big league player someday. But it is interesting to always to see you know, what new bacon-related food stuff they're trying to sell. Or <laughs> This episode of the second first season was edited by Katie Talarski and Jeff Cohen. Heather Brandon is the digital editor. 
Katie Talarski is the executive producer. The baseball highlights in this episode included Harry Carey in the 1967 World Series film and Jeff Dooley and Dan Lavallo on MILB.TV. Our theme song is by the great Jim Chapdelaine. You can find the second first season on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're on the web at WMPR.org slash second first. You can find me on Twitter at McNicholPants. The second first season is a production of WNPR. I'm Jonathan McNichol.